Hello, my name is Randy Sutton, and I am the voice for American law enforcement. Welcome to another episode of our show here on AmericaOutloud.com. And a little bit of background, in case you've just uh, started to tune into the show. I'm a 34-year police veteran, retired as a lieutenant with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the author of a number of books, including A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. And I'm also the founder of an organization called The Wounded Blue. That's the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, www.thewoundedblue.org. Thanks so much for joining me again today. We have a great show for you. Uh, there will be a really cool guest coming on at about the halfway point to the show. But let's, so, uh, let's get right into what's happening in, uh, in the world of law enforcement and all the madness that is still continuing. You know the the war on cops. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just consider that the, that you know that the war on cops is very real, and the war on cops is more than just the physical attacks on law enforcement, of which we're going to talk about um, uh, in great detail here. But it's also much deeper than that. Much the tentacles of the war on cops um, reach uh, very deeply into our nation's psyche, because. Our officers are not un, not only um, battling uh, the criminal element, which is becoming more and more empowered uh, in this uh, in this state of uh, of our, where our government is and the and the societal issues that are that have arisen, but also um, the media has has played a major role in the narrative, the false narrative um, regarding law enforcement. And it's been so for years. So the war on cops is not just physical, but it is also um, a complicit media. And then you have the war on cops being waged by uh, district attorneys and prosecutors throughout the country as well. Now, remember, the criminal justice system is just that, a system. And the system is that the police investigate crimes and arrest the violators. I Sound like a, I sound like the the uh, beginning of um, of the uh, of a television show if uh, if I remember correctly, uh, but that's that's the reality that that the police arrest the criminals. The next part of the system is that the district attorneys are supposed to prosecute those criminals for the laws that they violate. Now, and then the the final part, of course, is the judicial system which sentences and, and uh, uh, the, the, the criminals for the crimes that they commit. So if one part of that system doesn't work, then the entire system doesn't work. And what we are seeing in many cities across the United States, uh, like uh, New York City, uh, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, is that there are what I call Trojan horse district attorneys and prosecutors who have been elected, and instead of actively prosecuting criminals, they have decided that they are activists against the criminal justice system, and so are basically eating the system from within, failing to prosecute criminals, um, and instead victimizing victims over and over again. Imagine this. Under the, under the insane laws that have been passed in New York City, no bail, low bail, 
uh, the criminal justice reform, quote unquote, which is just another another word for for literally coddling criminals. Now, the the victims of the of the of the criminal, right? Sexual assault victims, robbery victims, uh, aggravated assault, attempted murder victims. The 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 person who victimized them, the criminal, now has access to all of their personal information, because that is what the state legislature has enacted. Can you imagine the 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 well, now why would anyone even want to prosecute, knowing that that's that that's part of the their the new reality of the criminal justice system? So you have. You have this war being waged on, on you and me and, and everyone else that's in this country, a war being waged not just against the police, but against the people who are the victims. You know, and I, I was a police officer long enough to remember when victims were the, were the ones that law enforcement and society wanted to protect. No longer. No longer. You don't even hear that word any longer because the criminals are being treated like the victims by the state legislatures, the, the city councils, the district attorneys in many of these states. And at the same time, you are seeing a debilitating um, uh, number of officers who are leaving the profession or leaving those cities that that um, that that uh, have waged war against them and going either to, to private industry or other police departments where now they leave their their um, cities and uh, under policed is the word that I'm using here under policing is now becoming a major concern across America what does that mean under policed well if 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 like uh, there's a um, there's a uh, story that I was going to bring out right here. Yeah, Detroit Police Department losing an officer nearly every day. This is when I talk about uh, under policing. This um, uh, this story just came out. Since the beginning of 2022, the Detroit Police Department has lost 223 sworn officers, averaging out to about 28 officers per month. With four months in the year remaining, that number is already more than doubled from those who left the department in 2021. Most officers are not leaving the profession altogether. Instead, they are joining departments outside of Detroit for better pay, benefits, and safer working conditions. This is a story from the Detroit News. This is from the assistant police chief, David Lavalley. One of the big issues we have is we're losing officers to the suburbs at a good rate. We get them, train them in the academy, and then the suburban agencies are not shy about recruiting and taking our officers. Well, Chief, they're not taking them. The officers are, are leaving your department for a number of very good reasons. Steve Dolan, a retired Detroit police assistant chief, said some of the officers are saying, quote, screw it. I'll go to work in the suburbs where I can make more money and I don't have to deal with all the crap from Detroit PD. Can you really blame them? The department has ramped up its recruiting efforts, resulting in the hiring of 138 officers. However, the agency is still 200 officers short of its budgeted position. 
So it takes, and this is a, this is an interesting quote. It takes years to learn the city's culture. A lot of these kids are from the suburbs, and they don't know how to deal with the different situations that come up in on the job. You need people with experience to patrol a city like Detroit. You've got kids out there with no experience, and the people training them only have a few years on the job themselves. That's not good. This is a perfect, a, a, a perfect um, example of when I talk about under-policing. So what are the ramifications of this? So the Detroit Police Department is short almost 10% of, of, their, of their positions, right? Now, even if we were able to turn a switch today and suddenly get a, a flood of people who just want to join the Detroit Police Department or any other police department for that matter, <clears throat> the learning curve on becoming a competent police officer is three to five years. Now, what do I what do I mean by that? A competent police officer. Okay, let's let's look at what let's look at what goes into making a cop. So first, you got to decide you want the job, and then you have to take a fairly rigorous testing process in order to in order to get the job. You have to take a written test. You have to take a physical uh, fitness test. You have to take a background investigation. You have to take a psychological test. Um, and, and sometimes you have to take a polygraph test. Just that hiring process take, takes months. All right, then you get hired. Okay, great. Then you join the next police academy, the next police training academy, which can range from four months to over six months. And that's just for your basic training. Well, then you just got, you know, you just got the basics, right? You, you don't just get a gun and a badge and go out on the street and, and start rocking and rolling as a cop. No, you have to go through field training then. Field training usually lasts about six months as well. And that field training is where ex more experienced officers take that, that young recruit and, and help mold them into a competent police officer that can, that can ride solo. That's the, that's the goal of being in the field training program, that you, you go from raw recruit to being able to competently at least um, know about handling your calls and you know, your good officer safety and, and the ability to, to go out on patrol by yourself. Now, that's just the, that's the bare bones. To, be, to learn to be a good cop, takes years, years. So when I say that, that, that the competency level, you have to be on the street for a couple of years just to, just to become competent on the job, to experience you know, uh, all of the, the things that, that a police officer has to experience, um, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the investigative process, um, learning how to patrol effectively, knowing the rules and regulations, the laws, the court decisions. It is a monumental task to, to become a police officer. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of the avenues or the areas, if you will, that, um, that, that law enforcement is not very good at advertising, not very good at their own PR, so to speak. I was I was doing a national TV show, and um, and the the uh, interviewer was asking me what's the biggest need of the police, and I said, 
I said it's it's a really good PR firm because if every if if every American knew what policing was really like, and and we and we as a, a profession could communicate that, there would be so fewer problems facing this nation that the the reality uh, of of law enforcement. Um, is much more interesting than the fiction, which is portrayed, you know, um, uh, during on social media, on newscasts, where you take. I, I mean, what what do I mean by that? So let's just say, um, the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson. Okay, that's when I when I look at the historical issues uh, at where law enforcement has become in the last few years, being demonized, being dehumanized by the media, by politicians, by, uh, by uh, uh, you know, people in general that, that are attacking law enforcement, either physically or sociologically. Um, it's all based on the false narrative of hands up, don't shoot, okay? That was like, the, that was the, the best misinformation, disinformation campaign ever when it comes down to uh, the false narrative about law enforcement, where um, Michael Brown had done a strong arm robbery, was uh, approached by a police officer, Darren Wilson. Uh, of course, Michael Brown was black, the officer was white, and that became a racial incident. Like, it wouldn't have mattered who decided to do that strong arm robbery. It, they, it would have been handled exactly the same way. So Michael Brown escalated the situation when he was stopped by the police and, and literally tried to steal the gun from the officer. They got in a fight over the weapon. This is a life and death struggle. And Michael Brown was shot. And then he was shot again when he attacked the officer. Well, his accomplice, the suspect's accomplice, made up this story about Michael Brown was just trying to surrender and he had hands up, don't shoot. And that became the rallying cry. The biggest disinformation, misinformation campaign Bar none when it comes down to law enforcement. And it's still reverberating today, even though it, it's been discovered that the whole thing was fiction. It never, ever happened. So you take, you take um, all of this, and then you, you, you take police officers who, um, where recruitment is, is diminished to a trickle. Now retention has become a major challenge. This was this story from Detroit, and that's where under-policing takes place. We are now in a crisis in many of our cities, and it is a crisis that um, th that is literally, we've just begun this crisis. There's a lot more coming from it. Now, what, is it, what does it mean practically to you, the, 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 the person who is who's interested enough to watch this show or listen to the to this radio show when it's not heard on iHeartRadio. Well, what it means is that you are less safe, far less safe, because when you have fewer officers, you have fewer resources. That means when you are victimized, when your house is broken into, when you are mugged and you are relieved of your wallet and beaten on the street, there are less officers that are going to A, answer your 911 call, if there are enough there, or to an actively investigate the crime. So what we're seeing because of all this madness is the solved rates 
of major crimes diminishing across the country. I mean, to the point where where the the murder uh, clearance rates in some cities is down to 18 and 19 percent. That's frightening, frightening. And this is the war on cops that I talk about it. It is it is the the anti law enforcement uh, lobby because it's really truly is. You have you have huge money being poured into uh, campaigns that portray law enforcement as evil racists who are who are simply out uh, to hunt and hurt people of, of minority status. Nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is this: the only people who are standing up in the inner city communities to do something are the police. That's the madness. That's the madness. Who, who, who's putting their life on the line? It's your local police. It's those officers who still continue to patrol despite the mounting violence against them. Those are the heroes. So I urge you to, to, to think about what this crisis means to you and become involved. That's the book that, that is coming out that I, that I just wrote, Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. Go to rescuing911.org and, and sign up to be notified when the book comes out. Just put in your email address and we'll send you a note when it comes out because this is a call to action. Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, is a call to action for all Americans because if we don't unite, if we don't work together, we're going to continue to see this massive tsunami of crime surge across America. So um, check it out, rescuing911.org. And while we're on the, on the topic of, of how you can support law enforcement, the Wounded Blue is the organization that I founded. And it is in the last three years, uh, we've helped more than 13,000 injured and disabled officers across America. Um, the mission of the Wounded Blue is simple, to improve the lives of injured and disabled officers through support, education, assistance, and legislation. It's an all-volunteer organization. I have, I have 30 police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, and still they want to continue to serve, and they do so by helping to save their brothers and sisters um, literally from either uh, post-traumatic stress injury, physical injuries that are debilitating, where they believe that they are forgotten and alone. Uh, you can probably see my shirt. It says, never forgotten, never alone. And you can get one of these shirts, actually, by going to the website, thewoundedblue.org, and shop on it. You can get a cool mug like this, too. Mm. But support these men and women. If it's 5 bucks or 10 bucks a month, do what you can, uh, because these heroes need a hero like you as well. So when uh, let's continue to talk about about the realities of the war on, on cops. I have a this is a, this is just a heartbreaking story. Indiana officer taken off life support transferred to hospice facility. Sierra Burton has been in critical condition since she was shot in the head during an August 10th tra traffic stop. And this is uh, from the Springfield News Sun. Richmond, Indiana, Richmond, Indiana police officer shot in the line of duty is fighting until the end after she was taken off life support on Thursday. Officer Sierra Burton, 28 years of age, 
has been a critical condition in Miami Valley Hospital since she was shot in the head on August 10th. Richmond Police Chief Michael Britt on Friday said she remains off life support and that her condition did not change much overnight. He said she's still with us this morning. Sierra continues to remind us of just how strong she is. Um, her canine partner, Brev, was not injured and is in the care of a Richmond police investigator who is a former, former canine handler. And uh, Richmond police said that her injuries were, quote, unrecoverable, but that she will continue to serve others after her passing because she is an organ donor. Um, senseless. Senseless attack. Um, doing what every police officer does on multiple times a day making a traffic stop. And in our, our law enforcement across the country is facing more and more of these attacks. Um, in fact, um, there's a, another, there was another uh, story I wanted to relate to you. And it, this was a story that just happened out of, uh, uh, Sa I don't know exactly how to pronounce this, Sash, I think. Two Sash Texas police officers were ambushed by a man with a shotgun as they sat in their patrol car on September 2nd. Investigators said it happened at midnight outside MedPost Urgent Care. The officers were finishing up on an unrelated call when the man allegedly walked up to the driver's side of the police cruiser and fired a shotgun through the window. The officer sitting in the driver's seat was struck in the head from the shotgun blast. The second officer returned fire, striking the suspect. Both officers and the suspect were taken to an area hospital for their injuries. Um, ambush, sitting in their police car, doing nothing other than, than finishing up on some reports. And, and literally this, this coward walks up on their car with a shotgun. It's, it's a miracle that they survived this, that this, you know, horrendous attack. But the, but the, the real story is here that this is becoming more and more frequent. And the war on cops is very physical when you come down to these attacks. So here's a, another story that just came out related to this. Ambush attacks on police more than doubled over the past year. And this is uh, from a, a late 2021 article. Over the past year, 93 officers have been shot in 75 ambush-style attacks. When I use the word war on cops, it's very real because combat is very real. And that's what these officers are facing. A new report from the Fraternal Order of Police says that ambush-style attacks on police are up 103% from 2020. Over the past year, there have been 75 ambush attacks on officers. 93 officers were shot. 21 were killed. Lieutenant Jason Pate, Fort Myers Police Department, trains officers to prepare for these attacks. And he says, any call we go on, there is a potential to be ambushed. We always try to bring in a scenario where there is something that surprises the officer, that something unusual happens with the officer in their training. Now, the, the FOP def defines an ambush-style attack 
as any time an officer is shot without warning or a chance to defend themselves. You know, I just threw out some numbers to you, but I want you to think of this in the terms of, of, hum, of human cost. Those 23 officers who were killed, the 93 more who were shot, many of whom received disabling injuries. This is, this is the human cost. And as these con attacks continue, one of the reasons, or several reasons, why these attacks are, are growing in frequency, and part of it is the empowerment by a broken criminal justice system, by politicians who care more about getting reelected than they do with the safety of their police and the safety of their public. Agenda-driven uh, district attorneys who who consider themselves social justice warriors in some weird perverted way where it's the criminal that is, that is considered to be the victim. So when you empower criminals and, you, and there are no consequences for, for their crimes, you have just created an environment that is deadly for law enforcement and for you and your family. Look at what's happening in New York City. It is absolutely out of control. Now, they've lost thousands of police officers who just said, I'm done with it. They don't have enough people to patrol the subways, to patrol the streets. And, and when a police officer, uh, there was a, an incident that happened just the other day um, where a, uh, and it became a viral video where a, uh, the police, NYPD, was arresting a guy wanted for attempted murder, a real bad guy, who had a gun on him, and he fought with them. And while they're trying to arrest him and take that gun away so nobody gets killed, the suspect's girlfriend attacks the officer, one of the officers there, a detective. And, and he pushes her away. She comes back and hits him, and he laid her out. It was, it was a beautiful thing to watch, quite honestly. And it was all captured on video. And she attacked him, and he he was having none of it. Punched her right in the face and knocked her out. You know what? Good for him. He did exactly what he should have done. But now, oh my God, the hue and cry. Oh, this officer was brutal. He needs to be fired. He needs to be disciplined. You have, you had. New York Times, you had all these news organizations decrying it as police brutality. Like, he's supposed to just allow himself to be beaten by people. That's it's nonsense. And when he defends himself, then now he's under investigation. Well, the, the mayor there, who I, I actually think is kind of useless, Eric Adams, even though he was a cop, wasn't much of a cop from everybody I know, but at least he has a background in law enforcement. He's actually backing this officer's actions at the moment. Now, of course, he's a politician. That could change tomorrow. But he did come out and publicly support that officer's decision to use, to use force against a, an individual who was attacking him. But, uh, but the madness is to, is to listen to the, the, the comments on, in the media and, and the people that they give a voice to um, that, I mean, like the mother of, of, this, of this 
creature that attacked the police. Her comment was, the police should never, never touch a woman. What? I mean, it's so blatantly ludicrous. But these are the people who the media gives the, the uh, pulpit to, to, to talk about the brutal police. The cops were the ones who were in danger from this punk who was carrying a gun who was wanted for attempted murder. But you don't hear that. And this is all part of the war on cops. So it's time that we showed our law enforcement that we support them. And the only way to do that is unless you, 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 you personally know an officer and you tell them, you know what, I really appreciate who you are and what you do. Um, one of the ways you can show that appreciation is by donating to the Wounded Blue, an organization that helps injured and disabled officers across the country. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Give five bucks. Give ten bucks. Do what you can. If you are a if you are a um, a business owner and you want to and you want to support this organization and law enforcement by becoming a sponsor of the Wounded Blue, contact me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. We can we can make that happen. So um, we're going to be bringing in our guest here in in just a few moments, and I think you're really going to enjoy her. Um, She's a little different than my usual guests, and I think you're going to get. I think you're going to. You're especially if you're in law enforcement. I really want you to pay attention to what this conversation is. It may it may have a um, a tremendous effect on you and your family, because you know I got to tell you, um, as a law enforcement uh, professional for for more than three decades, uh, I understand uh, what these officers are going through. And, um, and I dedicate my life to these men and women. And that's what we do here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. So let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with our guest. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. 
your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Hello, I'm Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the founder of an organization called The Wounded Blue a nationwide charitable organization that helps injured and disabled law enforcement officers across the country. I'm asking you to take a look at what The Wounded Blue does uh, by going to our website, thewoundedblue.org, and see who we are, see what we do, and I'm going to ask something of you, and that is these officers who have been injured and disabled in the line of duty um, – they have sacrificed a great deal for their communities and this country. I'm asking you to support them. You know, very often, um, uh, by being in the media as much as I am, I get contacted by people from around the country, and they say, Randy, uh, I support law enforcement, but I don't know how to show it. Well, I'm going to tell you how to show it, and that is by donating to the Wounded Blue. Whether that donation is $10 or $10,000, whatever you can afford to do, um, these men and women uh, need to know that they are supported, and this is a fantastic way to do that. So go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, and give what you can. Or another way to give is by, if you can see it, this on the video, 877-8100-911. Text that number, put the word BLUE in and donate there, whatever is easier for you. And you can do it either on a credit card or, or Venmo or you know, PayPal, whatever. Um, but please, I ask this of you. Now, if you are um, a business owner and you want to support the Wounded Blue by being a sponsor of one of our events and uh, uh, being a sponsor of the organization, I, I'm going to ask this of you. Contact me personally, and I'm easy to find. I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Um, our officers who, are, who have sacrificed so much need to know that they have the support of the American people. And this is the way to do it. I'm Randy Sutton from The Wounded Blue. Checking us out, thewoundedblue.org. Well, we're back, and I'm going to introduce my guest to you. Um, her name is Laurel Langmire. She is known as the millionaire maker. Laurel is a money expert, sought-after speaker, entrepreneurial thought leader, and five-time, you heard me right, five-time New York Times bestselling author who's on a relentless mission to change the conversation about money and empower people around the world to become millionaires. And I'm, I'm so proud to have her 
on my show. She is a major supporter of law enforcement and the Wounded Blue. Laurel, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here today, Randy. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to introduce you by way of uh, some of my um, my viewers and listeners are probably going. She's not the usual guest that Randy yeah. has on his shows, but I have been a law enforcement trainer for years. I've been I've, I was one of the jobs I had was uh, as the the head of um, advanced training for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I literally have been training for years. Every officer gets gets hours and hours of training throughout their career on, on how to survive physical encounters, how to survive emotionally, um, criminal law, all kinds of things. But here's something where we, we lack, Laurel, and this is where your expertise is. One of the greatest stressors in a law enforcement officer's life is money. And we do nothing as a profession to train them about money. But that is your expertise. You've written five New York Times bestsellers about it. And now you're, you're actually going to have an event in Reno, Nevada at the end of October um, yep. that is going to, that, that's going to give an opportunity to our officers from across the United States to come to that event and actually get trained on, on the legacy of their own income. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's uh, been a while. You and I have known each other for, I think, decades. I'm uh, here in Georgia. My son goes to Georgia Southern up there. And uh, he's his birthday today. I think you probably saw him when he was maybe five or six. He's 23 today. And Thanks for uh, making you... me feel old. Thanks. Thanks, Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have known each other for so long, and I just respect what you're doing and excited to have you. And those of you also listening, the Wounded Blue is our charity of choice for that event. It's called the Generational Wealth Conference. There's, a, We'll put up a link uh, below so you can come join us. And, you know, it's not just the, 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 the officers across the country that don't know about money. People don't know about money. You know, this last year, I actually got a six uh, Wall Street Journal and Barnes & Noble bestseller. It's tough to hit. I, I heard you earlier saying something about, you know, the press and the New York Times, and they'd rather have socialist kids than uh, millionaire kids. And there, I said it on air. And they're on recording saying that they didn't give me a bestseller. So it's just such a, it's not only the, 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 the presence of all the political and economic drama, even before that money was an issue in families. And with generations, you know, unless you train your kids and most parents and you know, and I, you've been, I was together, what, 20 years on call it the circuit and uh, seminars and events and, you know, promoting what you're promoting. I'm promoting financial literacy and business literacy. How many parents say that they care and then they don't do anything about it. I actually think they don't have enough, you know, really skills about it. So I just wrote another book. Uh, the one I just wrote was how, uh, how to make your kids millionaires. It's a 68 point checklist. How do you have, you know, responsible, courageous, brave kids, not, you know, spoiled little brats just because they have a trust fund and how to use a trust for generational wealth. So at our conference, we're really going to break that down and it's going to be a working conference starts on October 26th at one o'clock. So people can fly in that morning, uh, register at noon. And then we are going to really break down what does it take? Because you don't have to have millions to have generational wealth. Even if you have hundreds of thousands, which most of the officers with their retirement, their pension, like the next generation is going to receive that probably upon their death. They don't know what to do with that money and how to manage it and how to have their grandkids and their great grandkids and their other great grandkids, you know, keep it. 
Um, so wealth is just something not talking about in general, which is why I've had a passion for it my whole life. And, um, you know, there's really four components. It's making, it's how to make it, how to spend it, which is critical. And it's okay to have debt properly and credit card usage properly. It's what you keep, you know, you've always heard that what you invest and uh, then what you pass on as a legacy. So we're going to talk about all of that. And it's what I talk about every day. Well, you know, and, and this is this is really critical stuff because in, in my in my role, both as when I was still, you know, actively uh, working as a law enforcement leader, um, it was it was um, very common for our officers to get in trouble financially, which affected not only their the their reliability on the job, but also affected their family life. And when your family life is affected, your effectiveness as a police officer is affected. And and you know there's an old uh, there's an old adage in law enforcement. I can't really I can't those those cops who are listening know what I'm talking about. I can't repeat it on my show, but it's all about the things that are going to get you in trouble. And money is one of those things that can get you in serious trouble. So you have a plan and you yeah. can, this is, this is learned behavior and, and you have a plan. You are, you are dynamic in, in this regard. So if an officer wants to come to the conference, how are yeah. they going to, how are they going to benefit from it? Um, so that, so that they're not so stressed out about their, about their, their financial situation. Well, uh, even before they come, like the minute they say, raise their hand and say, you know, I'm interested in learning this, I send a, a variety of ebooks, audio, uh, you know, recordings to start listening about the truth about money because there's a lot of misguided information about money. And what we were taught about money is how to do exactly what these men and women have done, which is, you know, go to school, get a good job, and, you know, serve our community. And typically that's not going to be enough financially. So like I'm here at Georgia Southern, I taught the football team. I teach a lot of their coaches, their wives, uh, just taught the basketball team yesterday. Again, their coaches and wives. And the same thing I teach any of them is how you make money. Uh, typically a lot of the, the, the officers and I was sharing with you, I have um, some, some folks who love Seattle, some cops who love Seattle, uh, tired of all the politics and the drama and the defunding and all that was going on. And they just bought my land in Texas to either build uh, additional houses or buy houses. So I'm helping them uh, as a community. I have 11 more lots, by the way, officers, if you want to go to Texas. Um, so, yeah, so this is going to be like a, mi a mini town of cops. This is, I hope so. I hope it is. I hope it's <laughs> I hope it's athletes, coaches, their coaches' wives, because you know what happens when and when police make money, it's a job. And if you only have a job, it's the highest income that you can make. Now, no one tells you that, but when you have, say, real estate on the side, or I have a lot of cops uh, that are actually clients of mine. So they'll do, um, you know, in addition, they'll do some arms training, self-defense training. Um, I have one woman who actually has become a private investigator and uh, she and her husband now on the side, they do a whole other business, right? I teach firefighters that. So when you have an ability to have a company that can have deductions, including your children, how do you deduct your children? If you don't have some, I would say you should get them some, they're tax deductible. Um, <laughs> But seriously, like just the tax code alone is hurting these these officers. They just don't understand that that income alone it not the only income. So there's a, another way without a lot of work that they can access and have a way better tax bracket. So we're going to talk about uh, extra income, different income, company income. We're going to talk about how a trust will actually protect you from uh, upon passing having the state take 
40 to 50% of everything. People don't know that, Randy. They think a will is enough. It's not. You have to have a trust to stay out of probate. California is the worst state to go into probate. New York, New Jersey, a lot of those are right behind it. So first, we're going to talk about a lot of income, and we'll be talking about that the minute they you know, raise their hand and say, teach us. Then I'm going to talk about spending, how to use credit cards, and then how do you pass assets? Like, how do you pass real estate, stock portfolios, cryptocurrencies? How do you pass this to your next generation and not have them blow it? Because the, the statistics will say that your kids or your kids' kids is usually when your wealth would end. And I didn't do all this, and you know I've been at this for a little minute here, when I knew I was going to be a single mom. <laughs> I've been doing this for 23 years and nine months is when I said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it different as a single mom. And I'm not going to be, you know, run back home. And not that that's a bad thing to do, but I was living in the water in California, right in Sausalito. I kind of liked my lifestyle and I love the water and I love the mountains and I wanted to raise my kids in the mountains. So I have a beautiful daughter right here who uh, we live in the northern Nevada, which is why we're having uh, our event in Reno. So we're going to talk about all categories. How do you make money? How do you pay less taxes? How do you spend it differently, including how do you get out of credit card debt? You know, Randy, what I see, one of the biggest mistakes when people kind of wake up and say, you know, I need to figure money out, they look at their debt and they think that being debt free is, is their biggest, or, you know, being in debt is the biggest problem. And it's not. It's your lack of making more money that's the bigger problem and then paying taxes wrong. I can get you out of debt super, super simple. Like that's easy. It's going to take a while. But here's a math equation for those listening. Let's just say you had, let's go extreme, $40,000 of debt. Wouldn't you rather invest it, make a minimum of 10%, that's 4,000 a year of extra income. Now you're at 44,000 12 months from now, then you invest that again, and you make another 4,400. Now you're headed north of 50,000 in less than two years of, of just invested income then put yourself on a small payment plan to offload that debt. People who spend their 40,000 and get out of debt, you're out of debt, who cares? You still don't have a big nest egg. So people blow their nest eggs to do the wrong thing all the time. And Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey would tell you to go get out of debt and then breathe. No way, we're gonna go invest, you're gonna go make more income, pay off the debt slowly, and now you're gonna get farther faster because you're on a growth pattern, not to live within your means and stay super small and Nobody wants to do that. People want to have a life. So I teach you how to have a life, how to fund life. And yeah, if you got yourself in some financial issues, we'll help walk you out of them slowly and methodically while you grow your wealth faster. You know, I, I, I watch basically almost every one of my coworkers. And I, I hear this constantly is that we have to work extra jobs in order to, in order to, to make enough money to live. So you have yeah. police officers who are literally um, working double shifts to make that overtime, working security yeah. jobs on the side, working traffic jobs on the side, and, and they're, they're not getting the proper amount of sleep. Um, and, and I think what, what you're saying here is that you have the ability to teach these officers how to, how to use their, their uh, abilities in, in such a way and their income in such a way that they don't have to be a slave to to being a, a laborer, basically. Correct, correct. And they could, so I'm gonna teach them how to take their same skills. I've done this for many, 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 many officers, firefighters. I have, uh, you know, I love that you have the Wounded Blue because that's, you know, new since we've reconnected. And I've done a lot with the Wounded Warriors and I have a lot of military folks. So that income, 
you know, typically what you're taught is to use, like you said, if, it's, if you don't have your ends meet, you go get another job. I'm going to teach you and your family how to have a business on the side. Use your skill sets. Like, again, self-defense. Um, I have, you know, CCW classes. I have guys actually, depending on the state here in Nevada, that, you know, they have their own, you know, they, they own a gun shop. They own and sell ammo. I have one guy who actually makes ammo. Um, so, and, and if that's totally not your jam, what else do you like to do? What do you and your family like to do? And that, when you include your family inside that business, it's going to change your family dynamic because now you're talking about money in a healthy way. How do you make more of it versus we can't afford it and don't ask for anything? So you include them. It could be real estate. Maybe you go find your first piece of property. If you have, you know, a couple of kids that are interested, maybe they help do the rehab. Your wife helps, you know, organize the rehab. Uh, but together as a family, you're going to have, you're going to get more farther when you have a company instead of job number two and job number three. It just won't work as well for you. And we, so we, at our conference, we're going to do that. We're going to do that math. We're going to show you how this process is what the wealthy have always done. It's not like what Laurel Langmire made up. I studied the Rockefeller family. I mean, do you, I don't think anybody knows this, but the Vanderbilt family, after three generations, there was not one millionaire. They had all blown it. And so to this day, they either had to build it back up on their own, but their legacy, what they built was not sustained because the kids, you know, didn't have any rules. They didn't have any education. So as soon as the mom and dad died, they got a big screen TV, a new house, a new car, and they blew all the money. So this is about educating and it's of course having fun. I mean, you, you know, my kids, I mean, they both have had you know, a little, like I call them 21st century lemonade stands, right? From a you know, little... <laughs> art wallet business to my son had a smoothie business. My daughter used to have a slime business, you know, and slime was a big thing and selling it. So, um, I mean, I have families at eBay, tons of stuff out of their house. They do Amazon stores. I mean, there's so many things that families could do together to make more money, have more fun, be more connected around this conversation about money and not be so scary and end up fighting about it. I but love the, I love that concept. I love the concept of of a family working together for the common good, and and you know we see we see you know the the disjointed families of today, and and when when they can work together and and get to know each other on a deeper level through that, I mean what a what a wonderful opportunity that is to uh, to to say kill two birds with one stone. Uh, you know, yeah. build build better wealth and better relationship at the same time. Quick question: yeah. You've been you've been at this a long time. How many yeah. millionaires do you think you've you've um, created? Influence? Yeah, I'm going to say I probably influenced uh, well over ten thousand easily, easily. <laughs> uh, we stopped and we stopped counting around four or five thousand, and that was like in by 2010 or 11. So, I mean, we're 10 years more. And between 2010, um, where I went through a phenomenal divorce, 2009 and 10 with my daughter's uh, father, uh, we ended up started to, we started traveling. So, you know, uh, Logan and Tristan and I went to Australia and uh, then we just kept traveling. Um, I mean, she had more, you know, tickets in her passport than most people ever have to Australia. We went, you know, up to, to Asia, Kuala Lumpur. We've traveled through, through Asia, India, went to Africa. And so we traveled all over the world and all of that impact, there had to have been well over 10,000 by now. And what's interesting, Randy, is a lot of people say they want to be millionaires, but once they start creeping up on millionaire, multimillionaire status, and they really learn what I'm saying, then private, your need for privacy and exclusion takes over because you don't want everyone to know, you know, where your wealth. And like you said, I mean, we're in such crazy times right now. 
I mean, in the highest litigation, you know, that goes on in this country, it's crazy. So people are pretty loud about wanting to be a millionaire. But what I see is as they approach it, they don't want to be, you know, counted as a statistic. Like they privately will let me know, but they don't want to be, you know, showcased. Like, oh, I'm the new neighbor that's the, just being a millionaire. Now, you know, you can come over to my property, fall down and, sue, you know, sue me. So it's interesting energy around money. You know, Kiyosaki, who was, you know, I, did, I was part of the Rich Dad Poor Dad team for a long time. And uh, he always said, there's two problems, not enough money or too much money, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting when, when people say that, they always complain about not enough and they get really private. And I think I'm one of those who all along have you know, lived out loud. I've talked loudly, get in a conversation about money. And if you don't know a lot about it, standing still and doing nothing isn't gonna work. I have a huge YouTube channel, Laurel Langmar, The Millionaire Maker, I, I dedicated huge uh a huge investment of just time energy and team to start that about a year and a half ago just because i need you know a place where people five days a week can hear little 10 minute snippets about a different money conversation whether it's how to get out of credit card debt how to use a credit card properly how do you do anything money related is uh we, we put that together so that's another resource that we'll be getting them into but the conference you know we haven't done a conference like this and this, this will be hundreds of people we have a ballroom rented they're going to get a beautiful legacy journal that they'll be working on with them their family we're going to go through value your mission like what what did you do all this for just to survive or to actually have a great life, you know, and, and design it now. Doesn't matter. Don't think you're too old, too young. Um, design it now and begin. So, you know, you, you said something about privacy, and I wanted, I wanted to just slip something in here. There's a, a company called OfficerPrivacy.com that, um, that it was started by a police officer who realized that, that you, can, you can be so much information is out there about you on the Internet. And it affects the safety of your family if you're a police officer, the safety of yourself. And and uh, what you're telling me is that all this this concept of officer privacy, where you, where you contact this company and they help remove the ability to find you and to find the wealth that you have, the the cars that you have, um, and they do so um, you know for a very very small fee. So uh, so I I I always push this. OfficerPrivacy.com. If you're a police officer or have been, you want to take a look at this and you want to contact them uh, uh, at OfficerPrivacy.com because what you're saying, Laurel, is is exactly on on the on the money. So, uh, pardon the pun. Yeah. No, I like that. I didn't know that. I actually appreciate that resource and glad they have it because I could imagine an officer and money. I mean, the officers are already, you know, under the gun in so many ridiculous cities in this country. Um, you know, I, I can imagine, I always say as a single mom, you know, I, I've had them had to come to my house before, you know, so uh, it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. So that's why when I, I knew you were doing the Wounded Blue and any of the links, like even officer privacy or any of that that you want to promote. So uh, the other one thing too, all of you officers, you want to come support Randy. Uh, I've uh, uh, asked him to be our MC. So he will be our MC of our event from October 26th to the 28th. We start in the afternoon of the 26th, go all the way through the evening, all day the 27th, and then you'll be done around three, four o'clock on the 28th. So you can pop back in an airplane and head home. So uh, it's committed to really a total of long three days to this conversation. You're yeah. worth it. Your family's worth it. And you got to come see Randy on stage all the time. <laughs> I am really looking forward to this. Um, I'm, I'm, and plus, I want to thank you personally because you have named the Wounded Blue as your charity of choice. 
Um, that's yeah. that's called putting your money where your mouth is. Literally, yeah. putting your money where your yeah. mouth is. And and I'm I'm so anxious for for those in law enforcement that are watching this or listening to this to take advantage of this opportunity to come to this. Plus, I'd love to meet you anyway. And and there there may be a cocktail or two imbibed somewhere along the way at this conference. I've been known to I've been known to buy somebody a drink every now and then. So by all means, take a look at this. Where where can they find the information on it, Laurel? So it's genwealthconference.com. So it's about generational wealth. We call it our Gen W, um, I, which we kind of just made up for fun as we, we launched our book, which was really about my kids. And, uh, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. My daughter's a Gen Z. And I'm like, who makes up these funny generations, like baby boomers, millennials? <laughs> yeah. so I said, we're going to be the Gen Ws. We're going to be the generational wealth builders. And this would be the community we're going to form and invite uh you know, all walks of life there. Uh, and I love that we're off, uh, inviting the officers and uh, look forward to a big turnout and uh, a bunch of them and their families. And if you have adult kids, you know, people say, when I say families, you know, I would say into your teens, as long as the teens can be in an, in an adult room, they're totally fine. But if they're just gonna, you know, if they're too young, they need to be cared for, um, you should probably be behind. The hotel does have, uh, you know, care service and there's like local uh, nanny services you can, you know, hire. Or, Get grandma, grandpa to watch them. But if they're old enough, my point is, if your kids are old enough, bring them along. Absolutely, bring them along. Well, thanks. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know, I know you are crazy busy, and for you to take time out of your schedule to come talk about what I think is going to be an amazing conference. I can't wait to be there myself. Uh, I want you to. I would just want you to know how how. Um, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for actually taking the time out of your schedule to come join me on, on uh, the Voice for American Law Enforcement. And uh, I, wouldn't I, I wouldn't have missed it, Randy. And I do have a bunch of gifts if we want to put up that other link. I have a bunch of gifts for those who just want to check, you know, if you're hearing us for the first time. Um, there's tickets to how to uh, how to make money conference. Um, it's called the Millionaire Intensive of Marketplace. I have a, a book out there for you. I have a whole bunch of goodies out there just as a free gift for listening to us have this conversation. Um, so there's where you get free things and then follow up and come join us at the conference. My team will be calling you and uh, let's begin a conversation really healthy about money. Laurel.club. That's the place to go. Laurel, thanks so much for joining me here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. We've run out of time today. I want to thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. You can find me on Facebook at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. If uh, you want to support The Wounded Blue, I urge you go to thewoundedblue.org. Or uh, if you're a police officer and you are in need of assistance from, uh, you know, from your injuries, contact thewoundedblue.org right there. Uh, thanks for, for joining us here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. One, 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 one.